We've been saved in order to share the same kind of life that God has in himself. And I want to emphasize that can only happen because of being forgiven, because of being rescued from our sins, because of the death of Jesus Christ. These are the means to the end for which God created man in the first place. The end includes those three things that I mentioned, life, community, and authority. And that life is a life that is intended to be eternal in nature. We've been saved in order to share in that same kind of life. That's an interactive reality now that Paul is saying is the way to walk the Christian life. This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. We are in the middle of a series called What's So Great About Salvation? Today, Tori Bjorklund, president of TRC Ministries, continues his teaching on the life we are saved to. Here is Tori with What's So Great About Salvation, Part 5. I'm going to start with just a little piece of what we talked about last week, try to tell you what my point was, and um, finalize that point and then open it up for questions. So we started off last week talking about saved two. And what I wanted to do was to look at some passages throughout the Old and New Testament and point out that this basic theme of God's intention for mankind. And so in an essence, you could say that God saved us to the purpose for which we were created. That kind of goes back to Gene's point earlier this morning that we are not living in the world that God created. You realize that? This is not the way God created the world entirely. We don't know exactly what the difference is, except that we know that it had been created within the dominion of God, delegated to the dominion of man, and then was now handed over to the dominion of Satan. And as a result of that, things changed. For one thing, we don't have the tree of life available to us any longer. It was when God first created the world. There was apparent changes in the physical world to bring about mortality. So maybe the law of Entropy, second law of thermodynamics, was put into place and hadn't previously been. If the world was intended to go on forever with no death, um, we, we don't know exactly what all changed, but we know that it did change. And there was an original intention that God had in mind, and that's the thing I wanted to point out. And that intention involved three things, three characteristics of our interaction with God. And the first one was life. The second one was community. And the third one was authority. And this you see in creation, this you see in redemption, and you see this throughout the Bible actually, and in various forms and in various completeness. And so that's the overarching, and we're going to look at those three characteristics in three different sections. And so last week, the first section 
you know, so last week I introduced that concept and then I took on the concept of life, starting with the, the concept of life. So we are saved to life. And I think the main, 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 main point I want you to get from this whole section here of, about life, saved to life, is that when we are reading about life, and you see that word an awful lot, an awful lot, and you see it, life. When we think of, for example, eternal life, when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisee that came to see him, Nicodemus, he told him, and this is where we get John 3.16, you know, he was talking to, to Nicodemus at that time, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall have everlasting life, eternal life, different versions translate that word slightly differently, eternal life. When we think that, when we read that, my point is that we infer something that I don't believe was there in, in its entirety by the original author when Jesus said that. We infer that that is something that happens after we die. We get to go to heaven and therefore that is eternal life. And what I wanted to point out is that the intention of that concept throughout the New Testament is that it was a kind of life that we lack prior to be, being given it by God. So God gives us a different kind of life than what we have without that gift from God. And that the kind of life that it is eternal. It's, it's a, an eternal kind of life. So one of the things that we could look at, for example, and I'm not going to do this, but you, you can do this on your own. A man that I've, I've read some of his material. In fact, next weekend I'll be going down to spend some time with this man. His name is uh, Frank Viola. He uh, pointed out in some stuff that I read, if you read through the creation, there are several kinds of life that were, create, were created. You remember, you remember that? He created, and I don't remember the exact order, but I think the fish of the sea, and then the things that crawl on the earth, animal life, and then the birds of the air. These are each different days that these, these lives, this life was created. And then finally he created man. Oh, yeah, vegetable life. That's right. Vegetable life was first, and then fish, and then animal, and then bird, and then man. And then we encounter an angel, a fallen angel. And so you go through that, there's seven, he points seven different specific types of life that were mentioned in the first three chapters of the Bible. And goes into kind of the hierarchy of that. Well, I, I'm not going to get into all of that. But the thing that I want to point out is that we look at vegetable life as a different kind of a life than animal life, and rightly so. In what way is it different? What we're doing is we're classifying life, the different forms of life, by the way, by the systems that define that life and by which that life operates. You don't have animals creating chlorophyll through photosynthesis, right? You have 
they metabolize their food and you know there's those kinds of things well we start recognizing that there are characteristics of one life form that are different than the characteristics of another life form now in our science classes they come at it from a purely physical world as if that the only thing that is real is physical but one of the things that we recognize is that when God created man he did so in a special way giving to him the image of God now one thing that we need to recognize is that when man fell they did not lose the image of God we have we know that because James you remember James said that said what did James say about the bearers the image bearers of God you're not supposed to curse your brother because he was created in the image of God now this is a universal is universally true for those who are believers and who are not believers they still carry the image of God okay but we also know through the scriptures that man unregenerated man let's say is dead in some way and even though they're mortally alive in other words their mortal physical body is alive and has the teleonomy those systems are functioning they're metabolizing that nonetheless there is a sense of deadness that they have okay and so that concept of deadness is a different type of life that man once had Adam and Eve had and that man can have but it, it needs to be man needs to be given that kind of life by God and one of the characteristics of that life is that it is eternal in nature it's uncreated it comes directly from God it's the same kind of life that God has had forever and will have forever goes back and never to a never-ending you know no beginning and will go on to no ending it's eternal as opposed to our human life that we have and that we experience today is mortal and when that life is given to us there's something that happens and by the way how do we impart life today how is life imparted and how do we speak of that when a new life is brought into this world what do we call that we call that birth and this is why Jesus was using that same concept with Nicodemus you need to have an additional birth from above that is a new kind of life that is given to man and continues on in an eternal way that is the point that I think the scriptures are getting at and yes when there is in passes away when when there is a new heaven and a new earth when God brings about this creation that we read about in Revelation and second Peter and elsewhere we would certainly be part of that because why we have a life that's continuing on where else is he gonna place those of his people that contain his life well with him in eternity forever and ever and so yes it includes going to heaven as we refer to it it includes that concept of living with God forever and yes it's available because of what Jesus did and his atoning death 
But it's also available because of his resurrection. And that's the point that Paul makes over and over and over again. And so when we read life, eternal life, these terms as something which we get as a gift from God, we need to recognize that that intention of that was this is an actual reality of life, just like your physical mortal life is an actual reality. It's, it's as real or more real. It's the reality that supersedes the reality of this physical being. Meaning it existed before this creation and it will continue to exist after this creation is destroyed and a new creation happens. And this is why Paul in his letter to the Corinthians said, what? You're a new creature. You have a new kind of, if anybody is in Christ Jesus, he is a new type of being. He has a kind of life that did not exist in that person prior to being in Christ. That's part of being in Christ. I want to challenge you to take that thought and plug it in as you see life in reference to this thing that we would call eternal life. Sometimes it says eternal, sometimes it doesn't have that modifier in front of it, but it's clear that that's what Paul, for example, or Peter is speaking of, and see if that doesn't fit. And certainly, it includes this concept of being with God in heaven that we read about in Revelation 21 and 22, for example. It includes, by the way, having a new body. Because guess what? This mortal body is not fit to exist in eternity. And so we'll have a new body. Just think about this for a minute. And, and this is, I'm, I'm just kind of throwing some of these things out so you can, you can see if it doesn't fit. You remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? So these disciples, probably a couple of them, going to Emmaus, and Jesus was speaking to them. Why does the, the writer call them disciples, by the way? Disciples of whom? Jesus. Do you think they knew Jesus before the crucifixion? They were leaving from Jerusalem, right? They were in Jerusalem. They were going to Emmaus. Why were they in Jerusalem? Well, probably for the Passover, but they observed the death of Jesus. They were two, likely two, of Jesus' disciples. And yet, when he was walking with them, they didn't recognize him, did they? Do you remember, and I don't understand all of this, but I want to point some of this out to you to see that there was a difference between the resurrected Jesus and the Jesus that walked the earth prior to the resurrection. And that difference had to do with this state that he was in, that the eternal life that had raised him from the dead, there was a time in between that resurrection and his ascension that he was interacting in a body that was different than the body he had prior to And yet his, he, it was the same person, but with, a substance that could come and go and go through walls and appear and disappear. Their recognition of him, did they say after he left, did they say, man, didn't he look like Jesus? We should have known. What did they say? Were not we ex experiencing something in a depth of our being that should have clued us in that we were having some kind of a connection that we didn't understand? 
They didn't say, man, he looked, he, we should have known he looked so much like him. It was the robe he was wearing that just threw us off. I mean, my, my point is that there was something different about Jesus after his resurrection, but it was Jesus, it, the same person, the same being, and yet with a different body that was intended to be able to, in, to be seated at the right hand of God. To, contain, to continue on forever. The new bodies that we'll get, that Paul tells us about, and, and uh, elsewhere in the Bible it talks about, the new bodies that we will get will be designed to contain eternal life forever and ever. We won't need another body after that. But the teaching of the scriptures is that the new life that will go on forever and ever, and that was before the physical creation ever existed, that kind of life is the same life that comes into us when God gives us eternal life. And then our bodies that we have now will be resurrected and reconstituted into a new form of body that will contain that life appropriately. I want to re- orient our thinking when we see those words, that it's something that is in reality. It's not, it's not just to come. It's something that exists. It has, it's a characteristic that we have is that it is eternal, and it is meant to interact with the eternal. And when we get that, it will continue on after we get a reconstituted body, and, and guess what? By the way, what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross, by the way? He said, remember me when you, remember, the guy said, remember me? And what did Jesus reply to him? Today you will be with me, what? In, in paradise. Paul said that he's having a hard time deciding whether he wants to live or die. Remember that? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Right? Well, why was it, in his mind, why was it gain? Because he said, when, he, when we die, we, we'll be with the Lord. But there's yet a resurrection yet to come. And so, I don't, again, there's a lot here that we only speculate on. We, we have glimpses of. And so I can't tell you exactly how all of that's going to work out. But we go to be with the Lord and we get a resurrected body, apparently at, a, at a, a future date, quite possibly. But the point that I want to make here is that that life that we have within us that is eternal will continue on without any interruption. When we die this mortal death, the transition will be from an eternal perspective, or from our perspective having that eternal life, will be virtually unnoticeable to us. That's why Jesus said that, they, that we will never taste death. It'll be a an, an, on a continuum. And so, yeah, there's heaven. There's heaven to be had, and it is in the future. But there's life that we have today, and that is present. And it's an eternal kind of life. Okay, so the question is, okay, so what kind of characteristics and systems does that kind of life have that 
is distinguishes it from our mortal life in essence. And I will go into that. I definitely want to go into that because I think it's, and this is why this is so important to me, this concept, because if we start thinking in those terms, then we start recognizing the interaction with the eternal in our lives today, and we start expecting that we will have those interactions in those systems that are designed and intended to interact with God. And so I'm going to go into that not today, Dave, um, but su let's suffice it to say for today that when we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that's, what, that's, what the, that's the terminology that I grew up with. And they wanted to, by the way, the reason that terminology was used was because it was important in the groups that I grew up in to distinguish the concept of salvation through some kind of baptism or something that was not personal. It was a, a ritual that had no impact on the person in a personal way. So they wanted to say, no, this is a personal salvation with a personal Savior with whom you interact. Now, wait a minute. That interaction in a personal way is what that life is intended to bring to us. And so it's more than just the systems. I mean, I talk about it as teleonomy because I want to use that. It's an actual reality. There is that, that system. But we also use the concept of life, I, I think I mentioned this last week, to be like conscious or aware of in certain things. And so, for example, we, when somebody is asleep, say to them, they're dead to the world. Well, what do we mean by that? Obviously, we're using a metaphor there. We, we're, we're, we're not meaning they're literally dead. They're metaphorically dead. But the reason we use that metaphor is because we're referring to the fact that they are not aware of anything that's going on around them. And so when we do not have a spiritual life that is alive, when we don't have that life, which is spiritual in nature and eternal in nature, when we do not have that operating in us, God interacts with us. If he interacts with us, it will be through our other life and often through the, through the physical world, through things like voices and stuff that we hear. And we'll talk more about that in coming time. But when we get that spiritual life, then guess what? The Bible tells us that we have the mind of Christ, for example. It says, Paul was saying that to the Corinthians, that the, that the Spirit knows the mind of God. And we have the mind of Christ. Why is that? Because we interact with Jesus in a personal way, spirit to spirit. And that's something that we have available in our spiritual life. So it's not just the systems, it's the actual awareness of the, re of the reality as well. On the other hand, if you take something like vegetable life, vegetable life is dead to poetry. We, ha we have an experience as intelligent beings that have a soul, that have the ability to experience emotions, we get emotional about things like music, art. Um, creativity is something that we experience because we have the image of the creator within us that's stamped upon us. And we experience the world in a way that is 
based on the nature of our created being. And so when we get the nature of the uncreated being given to us, we now have experiences that are conducive or natural for that being, for that type of being, which has been given to us. And this is why Peter said, we have, what, the nature, you, you remember that? That we, we can art, participate in the divine nature. Do you remember that? How do you participate in that? That's part of being that awareness of, of the nature that God has placed within us as a new creation in Christ Jesus. So to me, when I see life in the scriptures and eternal life and new life and born again kind of life and those sorts of things, I'm seeing that continuity, that continuum of life that includes participating in the divine nature of God, which naturally then is will live with God. All right, I want to move on just a little bit further with this. My challenge is to take and look and see if that doesn't square as you read some of that. And if it doesn't open up, if you haven't previously thought of it that way, look at it that way and see if it doesn't open up something that maybe burns within your heart as well. So I ended with this statement last week. When we think of salvation as being forgiven and rescued from the penalty of our sin so that we can go to heaven when we die, we miss the entire point of salvation. We have been saved in order to share the same kind of life that God has in himself. And I want to emphasize that can only happen because of being forgiven, because of being rescued, from our sins, because of the death of Jesus Christ, but these are the means to the end for which God created man in the first place. End is to, includes those three things that I mentioned, life, community, and authority. And that life is a life that is intended to be eternal in nature. We've been saved in order to share in that same kind of life. And so, you know, obviously there was the sin issue to address. So I don't want to discount that. It's not that that's not important. That was extremely important. But if we focus on the means and forget the end, we're not setting our mind on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That's an interactive reality now that Paul is saying is the way to walk the Christian life. We set our mind on the things to come. Maybe. We set our mind on the things of the past to be grateful for being forgiven of that, but we miss what we have available to us now. And so I want us to, to not miss that. I don't mean that we just miss comprehending something beautiful. I mean that we actually don't recognize the ability and opportunity to interact with eternity today. Okay, so let me restate the question. What if somebody is interacting with eternity with this new, in, in this new life, but they aren't formally recognizing it? They just don't even, they're just doing it. It hasn't occurred to them as eternal kind of life, but they're living it. I think absolutely that happens. You don't have to have this knowledge for that to happen. What I find that does happen, and I'll speak from my own experience, because this is why, why, this is why I wanted to bring up these topics and have these conversations, is because I'm now 
I'm going to be 52 this year in, in just a couple of months, in just a few months, I guess, three months. And I'm, I'm looking back and I'm realizing that if I were to sort of graph or chart my, my life and those interactions with God and the importance of them and the value of them and the impact that they had on my life and that sort of a thing, I would say that today I recognize, expect, and participate in that kind of interaction far less than I did early in my Christian life. And a big reason for that is I was instructed against that experiencing God, against a personal relationship with Christ. And I want to address that because I think that we have a tendency to discount that and to preach against experience, for example. We use that word in a way that becomes like a negative thing. And, you'll, and there's entire books on how to have faith without experience. And I think it's a wrong focus. I understand the point that they're trying to get at, which I think is a good point. So it's well intended. But from my experience, then, in speaking to your point, Dave, when I first became a believer, the first thing that happened to me, I will tell you, is God interacted with me through the, a physical reality that I didn't understand. I heard an audible voice. Okay, So that's what happened to me. I didn't know exactly what happened, but I heard an audible voice from God. It was the very first thing. Well, I shouldn't say the first thing. The first thing that happened to me was that God caused my body to expel the alcohol that was in it. I became violently sick and I, and I vomited. And I, I mean, say violently, I really began to wonder if I was going to be able to catch my breath. It was that violent of a reaction when the, with my physical body. So God was doing something in a physical way that I knew something was happening. I did not expect this. I was not looking for it. It, it just happened. But from that point forward, God began to interact with me in a way that I, I started thinking, oh, this is what it means to be a Christian. Now, I, I long you know, since learned from that that this is not a typical experience. So I'm not saying this is what we should expect to have happen. I'm, I'm speaking from my own experience. I don't know if anybody has seen that movie, Almost an Angel. Has anybody seen that with the guy that played Crocodile Dundee? Okay, it's a, it's a funny movie. It's a touching movie. Naomi and I watched it one time. And as soon as it got done, we just rewound it and started and watched it a second time, back to back. It was because it was so surprising to us how it ended. And, and the, the doctrine and theology in it is really bad. I'm not saying that's, it's, you know, that this is biblical by any stretch. But it, there's a very interesting concept that was there. And it was a concept that I experienced. So this guy in the movie, he gets, he gets hit by a car. He's in the hospital. And he has this apparent vision. He wasn't sure whether it was a vision or whether it was reality or not. And Charlton Heston shows up. Everybody knows who Charlton Heston is. Okay, Charlton Heston shows up at his bedside and tells him that, and basically it becomes clear that, wait a minute, I think this is God speaking to me in the movie, you know, and I'm going to spare your life, you know, to, to do some good stuff. And I can't remember exactly what that conversation was. And then he wakes up in his hospital bed, and, you know, it's just a miracle. And he was a bank robber before that. 
So he takes the money that he stole and he's looking for a church and he comes to the first church and he, and he goes to the priest and he wants to give him this money. And the priest, he asks the priest, you know, something, how did you get into this racket? And, and the priest says, well, God called me. And he says, doesn't he look a lot like Charlton Heston? And he's expecting that this man had the same exact experience that he had when God called him. You know, so it's an interesting concept. But I grew up in the church. I grew up with certain sets of expectations, but I had taken that and completely rejected it in my life. And so God began to, to bring me through a journey of understanding who he was. And part of that journey required me to, do, to, to look at alternatives, partly because I had already rejected what I had been taught in, as a child through the Bible and through our church, I had to look at alternatives. And I read like the Book of Mormon. I, I read the Bhagavad I looked at these things and I rejected all of those. I went back to the Bible and began reading it and God confirmed his word in my heart as I read it. But the way that he did that was through experiences that I was having and I was, I was no longer hearing audible voices but I was having very specific thoughts that were not my own thoughts, and I recognized them as not my own thoughts. And I began to walk with God in a way that was very personal, very interactive, and was very beneficial, because without that, I had nobody, I had nobody to help me with this. You know, I, I could go on and on about all the miraculous things that I personally had happened to me and how God directed me. But what I've seen over time was he started with the, what I understood, an audible voice, what I had as my, my orientation. And he, and he quick over experiences weaned me from that orientation of having to have it be a physical experience, an audible voice or something like that, to an inner interaction that I recognized which was different than my own thoughts. And as I began to be taught through that, and as I read the Bible, what I noticed was that God was speaking to me directly in a personal way through the Bible, but not just the Bible. But through the Bible, which ended up coloring every other experience that I had with God personally. Now, here's the bottom line, Dave, to answer your question. I had no concept of this kind of life. It was actually about a year later that I was reading a book that was talking about, about Romans that introduced this concept of Christ actually be, being in, inside his life, actually being in me, which was an additional life that I did not previously have. And I'm like, oh, well, that sure explains an awful lot. You know, it's like, aha, an aha moment. I didn't know what was going on, but I was experiencing the life of God in my being, interacting with me and guiding me through this time of uncertainty until I became completely confident in the being who God is, in his character, and realized the revelation of that character was in Christ Jesus, and that Jesus Christ was actually that mediator between God and man, and that it was actually Jesus Christ living in me that allowed me to live my life through that faith that he was training me in. But 
as I grew more and more competent in how to do this in my own, on my own, I got less and less dependent on that interactiveness. And we sometimes start out cautioning people not to expect anything interactive. You know, okay, now you're a believer. What you need to do is pray, read your Bible, and go to church, and we'll make sure we tell you everything you need to know, and you'll get it from the Bible, but be wary of any kind of spiritual experience. Just forget that. It's not going to happen, and if it does happen, you should run away from it. I mean, that is basically the teaching that you get in certain quarters. Fortunately, I didn't have that until later in my Christian experience, and I began to see that, okay, there is dangers, because I watch people, you know, kind of go, going off in left field. And we want to be careful of that. And there's, so there's a point to that. But you don't have to have that knowledge to experience it. But oftentimes, the knowledge that we try to give people actually removes, make, makes them say, like, for example, if we were Samuel's mentor, we would not say, and I'm, I'm just saying in general, the, the books that say this doesn't happen to people, or if it does, it's probably the devil. We would not say, the next time you hear that voice, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We would say, you probably had something bad to eat, and it's just, you're just having bad dreams. You know, take this whatever for your stomach and go to sleep and quit bugging me. But what we see throughout the scriptures, I'm getting way ahead of myself because I want to talk specifically about this, this topic of, of interaction with God. But what we see throughout the scriptures is that people actually learned over time, over experience, to interact with God. It didn't just happen, even though they have the natural ability, it can be trained out of them or trained into them, the use of that natural ability. And that, that's where I feel like we have gone awry in the Western Christian evangelical world in a lot of cases, that we have trained people out of expecting to actually have an interaction that is meaningful and personal through the life that's in them in Christ Jesus. The life that we have in our mortal bodies can be lived much more richly if we understand what it takes to live it richly. And the same is true with our spiritual life. It's not a matter of us having to know about it to get it. And matter of fact, the thing that I will reject, and, and I will get in more into this discussion as well, is that the dependence of life is getting your doctrine right. It's not. It's not getting your doc doctrine right. And when we get into the concept of faith, that's what we'll talk more about. Life comes to us by God through Christ as a gift, and faith plays a significant role in that. But it's a faith in God and at times, people have their doctrine messed up, but like, well, for example, Job. Job's doctrine was not very great. If you read Job, matter of fact, what's an interesting experience is to read the words of his friends, which, by the way, they were good friends. I mean, they came to comfort Job. They spent, what, seven days or something like that with him without even talking. I don't remember exactly how long it was, but I mean, they were there to comfort him. But they had a problem with his doctrine, and they tried to straighten him out. And what's interesting is you can take some of those passages and read them today, read them out loud in a group like us. 
and see how many amens you get. Well, in our group, we don't get many amens, but how many head nods you get. And then you find out, oh, that's, that's a person that God said, sent Job to pray for. Because what did God say about him? You didn't speak right about me. It was the character of God that Job had right. He didn't understand the power of God. He didn't understand. He thought God was limited in what he saw and understood and knew. And it's like, you know, all this is happening must be because God's going on. So if I could just get audience with him and explain myself, you know, everything will get straightened out because I have confidence in the character of God. And God saw that confidence and he treated that as the faith that it was, even though his doctrine was messed. He didn't understand that God knew what was going on. He didn't even realize that. His doctrine was messed up. What I want to say is that what we, in essence, tend to imply in common evangelical teachings is that it is the correct understanding of a particular concept of the atonement that saves people, as well as, a, yep, adopting that as their belief. And yet, scripturally, you find a lot of people who are right with God that had no concept of that atonement, but they had a correct understanding of the character and nature of God. And in Job's case, didn't even have a correct understanding of the nature of God, but he had confidence in the character of God and was willing at all costs to place his life in the hands of God because of his confidence in that character. And over and over and over again throughout Scripture, what you see is the men and women of faith were the ones who were to place their life their outcome in the hands of God, whatever that meant, because of their confidence in who he was, even if they didn't understand how it was going to turn out, you know, to their benefit, they believed God was for them, and he would do what he said. And so when the harlot was told that, that she would be protected if she would help the spies, she's like, I want to be on that God's side. And that saved, we're told that that faith saved her. So that's what I mean is that, that we, we, we tend to limit the faith in God to a correct understanding of a particular aspect of the atonement. And I think people can have faith in God without having an understanding of that aspect of the atonement. But that aspect of the atonement is what allows them to be saved by the faith by their faith in the character of God. There's a place for correct doctrine. And, and here's the thing. If I didn't think there was a place for teaching, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. You can experience the life, the eternal kind of life when you have it because you have it. But you can experience it richer when you understand it. The same is true about forgiveness. You can experience the grace of God without understanding the atonement, but the atonement makes it so much more rich that the, ex the experience of grace becomes that much greater when we understand both the wickedness of man, because it's what? The, the abounding of wickedness that shows the abundance of grace, as well as showing the nature, the character of God. And, and so rejecting that correct doctrine is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that one can reject Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Christ, and have faith in God in that sense. It's the revelation of that that would 
explain a lot to people who may already have faith in God. And I think that's what we saw in Acts 2 and 4 and, and 8. We saw people, I mean, just look in, in Acts 8, what happened? We had people that had not heard about the atonement of Jesus Christ. Remember that? And they said, whoa. Then what baptism were you baptized into? John's baptism of repentance. They had accepted the word of God already. They didn't know about this. As soon as they found out about that, they're like, we're here. We're in. So I'm going to state that again. Some people have a religious experience, and they put their faith in that religious experience. And it could be anything from, from Buddhism or, or Satanism or any number of other things. And they... And, um, they attribute that to God when it might be demons that are at, at, at play there. And I, and I, I agree with that. I, I think that that's true. Let me read this statement from Dallas Willard from the Divine Conspiracy, page 82. I think this might summarize something. But I want to I come back to the topics that I, I keep jumping over here. And maybe I can do that in a couple of weeks. Um, here's a quote from Dallas Willard, The Divine Conspiracy. Every kind of life from the cabbage to the water buffalo lives from a certain world that is suited to it. It is called to that world by what it is. There alone is where its well-being lies. Which, by the way, do you remember we talked about in the, the concept of the church that the church provides the habitat for the life of God? Do you remember talking about that? Part of our spiritual life that we are given, the, the, you know, we're spiritually dead, made spiritually alive by being placed in us the kind of life that, the eternal kind of life that, that Jesus had. When we have that, part of the habitat is that community. That's that one of those second things to which we've been saved. The community of believers as well as the community of God. The Godhead. So anyway, it is called to that world by what it is. There alone is where its well-being lies. Cut off from its special world, it languishes and eventually dies. You know, that's why we explain to people when they become believers that it's important for them to have fellowship. It's important for them to read the word because the word of God is that sustenance that's, that sustains life. You know, we, we understand that we don't want to have a languishing spiritual life, and there's things that we can do that will, will bring the richness of the life that was intended for us to have in Christ Jesus. And so every kind of life, from the cabbage to the water buffalo, lives from a certain world that is suited to it. It is called to that world by what it is. There alone is where its well-being lives Cut, cut off from its special world, it languishes and eventually dies. Let me once again pray that maybe God could use these words and that, if necessary, straighten me out on some of them. God, these are deep things um, that we're talking about. I believe that they are important for us to cover, that I feel compelled to cover them, and yet I approach this with some 
sense of fear and trembling. So I pray that your spirit would use the words that correspond to the reality, that your reality, the reality of your spirit and of our, the life that you have given us. And Lord, if there's things that are misstated or that in which I'm mistaken, I pray that you would bring those things to light and uh, that there would be uh, swift correction that uh, everybody can be continuing to grow in the knowledge of you and in the faith and in grace. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. Our vision at TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the church using the resources of the kingdom of God. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.